0: Good evening, everybody. Uh, Matt DeMarinas here from White and Blue Review, bringing you another episode of the Blue Jay Beat Post Game Podcast, uh, sponsored by Court Date. Um, Court Date. Io is kind of Omaha's like new way to play, sort of, sort of, so sort to of speak. Uh, it's kind of like a little directory for um, people who are looking for indoor sports facilities, whether they want to get some, you know, hoops run in or have a skills training session with their trainer or a, a practice with their team. Um, you can rent out facilities around the Metro area that are socially distanced uh, COVID friendly, that obey all the protocols and let you get in a, a safe and healthy workout. Um, our buddy, Matt Hoover runs that uh, site. Uh, he did some analytics stuff for us back at white and blue review a few years ago. Um, really good dude, really smart guy. Um, he set up that little website for everybody. So um, yeah, just, Check it out and uh, let Court Date kind of be your middleman for finding all these uh, open courts in the area for you to get some running. Um, on the episode today, uh, we have Ravi Lula of basically a Swiss, Swiss Army knife of, you know, building his little media empire, like by himself, essentially. 1620 The Zone, 93.7 The Ticket. Uh, he has his own podcast. He comes on this podcast a lot. So he's just kind of like a a, a media mercenary. Um, and then we have uh, John Bishop, host of Unsportsmanlike Conduct on 1620 The Zone, um, from 2 to 6 every weekday. And then he's also the play play voice of the Creighton Blue Jay men's basketball team and the baseball team, which is probably going to get rolling here as soon as the temperature warms up. So, John, Robbie, how are we doing, fellas?
1: Always good after a win. Always good.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, we're going to get you in a good mood today.
1: <laughs> hey, you beat Bill Noah by 16, hand them their uh, biggest loss since you beat him by 15 last year. I'd say that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, 100%. Ravi, what? what about you? How you doing, man? Yeah, I mean,
2: uh, I needed a cigarette after watching Ballack today, but after besides that, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good.
0: I think we all did, right? Uh, and I'm not even and I'm not even a smoker, and I felt the urge. Um, yeah, so I mean, that was obviously an impressive win today, Creighton eighty six seventy over Villanova in Omaha. One of those ones where I think maybe there were a lot of people kind of curious about what what was going to show up on Creighton's end today because they had been – they've had some games where they've played really well offensively. They've had some games where they've played really well defensively. But the but the times where those two have, like, synced together um, have maybe been few and far between this season. So it's led to maybe some frustration or some, you know, consternation over what this team's ceiling actually is. But today both phases showed up with their A game ready. Um, and the result was – Another pretty convincing win over Villanova, which is now kind of becoming habit for this group here. Like, you know, they controlled the game in Omaha last year. They just didn't shoot the ball well enough to put it away. Um, and then the rematch in Philly last year was not really a close game for most of it, essentially. It was a kind of a ten to fifteen point game as it was today. And today Villanova was chasing double digits most of the second half too. So when you look at those three all together, do uh Do you see a common thread? I guess we'll start with uh, John in terms of what that matchup looks like for Creighton right now and how much swagger they're playing with when they get a crack at Villanova.
1: Well, to be honest with you, uh, Matt, I think this is, uh, and and it's going to sound ridiculous. This is not, not meant to belittle Villanova at all because we know how great they are. They are the gold standard, but I think from a matchup standpoint, I think this is one of the better matchups we have in the league. They don't have an elite on ball defender. Um, They, they don't have a rim protector. And so that's, I mean, those are the two areas where Creighton lives, you know, that, you know, if you can't guard the three, eventually the shots are going to fall. I think there were more, I thought Marcus got more open looks early. Then we've seen him get in a long time. And he hit a couple early on in the game. And then, of course, Mitch in the second half, and he's going to space the floor like Steph Curry. So, um, it, you know, it, it, it's hard to guard him anyway. But then you look at what happened in the first half. You know, Christian Bishop was just living at the rim, and and, and there's no one there that's, that's particularly good at defending the rim. And so when you look at Creighton, the two best ways they like to score are the three – and the lobs at the rim, and I just think from a matchup standpoint, and it dates back to last year too. I think this is a good matchup offensively for Creighton. The key is you got to make those shots, and then of course you've got to be locked in and defend well on the other end. But from an offensive standpoint, you know, I, I think I think the key has been that this is not a team that necessarily plays very well at the rim, and they don't particularly guard well outside.
0: I one hundred percent. Agree with all of that because I mean, that's kind of why I, I thought before the season that a lot of the conversation around Nova being a clear favorite with a kind of a gap between them and whoever. I mean, everybody kind of expected Creighton to be at the top of the league, but the gap between them and Creighton was wider nationally than I thought it should have been. And it was, it's exactly based on how you everything you just laid out there point by point in terms of the matchup, Ravi. I guess when you when you watch these teams together or when you've watched them separately, did anything surprise you today in terms of how, what Creighton exploited and uh, just, you know, how they kind of dictated terms after that first, maybe five minute stretch of basketball.
2: I mean, I guess the biggest thing that surprised me is I just expected Villanova to shoot the ball better. And I know part of that was just probably an off night, but I think a lot of that was also Creighton's defense. Um, I thought Creighton's activity and their ability to um, rotate off of the initial like ball screen when they were hedging and then recovering, I thought was just really, really good. And they were making Villanova kind of get to their second or third option in terms of who they wanted to take the shot. Um, And I thought that made a big difference in terms of their shooting percentage, right? If you get to the second or third option down the line, yeah, they're still good shooters on Villanova, but maybe not the level that you would um, get if you're letting, you know, Gillespie shoot all the shots he typically wants to get. Um, And so I thought that was, I was the only thing I guess I was surprised by is I thought Villanova would shoot well enough to keep him in it, even if Creighton got hot. Um, And that really wasn't the case. Um, But I, I agree with John on Marcus Zagorowski being more open, not just from the three though, he was way more I guess not uncontested at the rim, but he wasn't getting the length and physicality at the rim that he's been getting all season. Um, And that you saw that directly, he got a ton of layups today and that is a part of his game that he's kind of struggled with this year is finishing around the rim. I think because he's seeing a lot of just, again, a lot of length at the rim, whether it's his initial defender or a help defender, and because Villanova really doesn't have much in the way of rim protection and they don't have elite on ball defenders on the perimeter either, um, Zagorowski just got to the rim at will basically. And that once that started happening, it felt like the entire defensive game plan for Villanova was shot.
0: Yeah, I think you know, a couple things you brought up there. Um, the first one I want to touch on because this was talked about in the post game and I'm really curious to go back and watch it uh, more closely, but Creighton's ball screen defense or their coverages were a little bit different than they have been in the past. They did something different with them. And I, and I don't, I I think it explains a lot about why Villanova wasn't able to get as many straight line drawing line drive drives off of um, just that initial ball screen and then uh, penetration with the primary ball handler, essentially Gillespie, uh, Justin Moore, those guys weren't able to get downhill into that lane area where they can jump, stop and pivot, which, which is what Villanova's offense does to initiate all of the rotations. And then their ball movement creates the open threes that they're able to generate off of that. I thought most of Villanova's threes were, you know, kind of like almost like Creighton was obliging them essentially like, yeah, you can come off this ball screen, but you're not getting downhill to penetrate. You're going to shoot these off the dribble. And I thought, that was really savvy by Creighton to make that adjustment and force Villanova into that. If Villanova wanted to shoot threes today, they had to do it off that ball screen action with that primary ball handler, and he wasn't getting downhill. Um, so I thought that was really impressive from Creighton's defensive standpoint to make Villanova do something a little bit out of character in order to let them get what they actually want to do, which is shoot a lot of threes. I guess, John, from your vantage point, and from just talking to, you know, coaches and players uh, today, what did you see in terms of why that was such an effective strategy for Creighton?
1: Well, I think I think you nailed it. And and if you notice, um, you know, the, the leading scorer was Justin Moore, who was the leading scorer last year when the Jays beat him by 15. You know, you're going to – someone's going to get theirs, but the key was Robinson Earl. I mean, he was the one who – was was on the hottest tear. He had averaged 20 points since coming back from COVID pause, and he ends up, what, three for 13, three for 14, whatever it was. And and, and he was never really much of a factor today. But, you know, someone's going to get theirs, and it was more early on. But then you notice in the second half, especially when Denzel was able to play a little bit more, um, he wasn't able to to get free on as much as he did. And, and you talked about, you know, it's so important what Villanova does. You get that dribble penetration. You get into the teeth of that defense, and then you jump stop, you pivot, you shot fake, you reverse. That's that's all of Villanova's actions right there. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't many times where you really saw a lot of that today. You still saw the shot fakes. But they were coming from beyond the arc. They Mm -hmm. weren't coming from inside of the uh, inside the three point arc because I think you know, and you pointed it out, how Creighton was coming off those ball screens were just just enough of a difference to really throw them off. And then you know, basketball is a game of rhythm, and no one got into a rhythm today, with the slight exception of Moore.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, Go ahead,
2: Robbie. Well, I was going to say, I I thought when you were talking about the uh, ball screen coverages. Um, I thought that the um, big thing that they were doing, and I'd have to watch it again to be 100% sure, but it felt like they were doing a short, uh, much shorter hedge on the ball screen with the big rather than it seems like they usually like to have either usually Bishop kind of push the ball handler out as far as possible and stay with him for a long time as the uh, initial defender kind of chases, well, it felt like this time is they were just hedging long enough for
0: the initial defenders like, to like leveling it off. Right. They were just leveling it off. Yeah. There
2: were just, it was a show rather than a hard hedge. Yep. So they yep. were showing just long enough for the initial uh, defender to go under, like you were talking about, basically allowing them to dribble into a three if they wanted knowing that that's not what Villanova wanted to do. So typically you would think, Hey, you don't want to go under on ball screens for a good shooting team, but it's pretty savvy to understand, Hey, this is a good shooting team off the catch. We can maybe get a little bit out of their rhythm. If we allow them to only shoot off the dribble. Um, you know, it's not like a, they don't have a, a great off the dribble shoot. Like Zegarowski is a very good off the dribble pull-up shooter. Whereas Gillespie, I feel like gets a little more comfortable off the catch and, and, and more. And some of those other guys are a lot more comfortable swider are a lot more comfortable off the catch. Um, and so if you're making them dribble into everything in terms of a jumper, I think that's a way for them to uh, – that was the way for them to, to get them out of the rhythm, like you were saying. But I think that was the difference was the way in which – or the amount of time they were spending with the big out on the perimeter.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and to your point earlier about Marcus kind of getting going at the rim, <clears throat> um, I thought he was doing – I thought he did a really good job. You mentioned that Nova doesn't have a lot of length similar to what he would face against Seton Hall, Georgetown, Providence, that type of deal. Um, But what I thought he did was like he kind of manipulated it really well, maybe better than he has all season because he comes off that ball screen and that, that, that big man is trying to attach himself to him to not let him get around. And even on switches, even on switches where he would he would just get a step, and he would kind of slow play it a little bit, and then get to maybe 15 feet and then burst all the way to the rim. Like he did a really good job of like making that defender, um, making that defender slow up a little bit and not recover as well. Um, You know, John, you've watched this kid a lot, like just in terms of his ability to manipulate that defender. Like I've been like I'm trying to say here, like how sharp do you think he was in that area of the game and how much do you think it contributed to his ability to get to the rim and get some clean looks on those layups that like Ravi said he hasn't been as efficient at finishing this year as he was last year but today was clearly more last year Marcus than this year Marcus.
1: Oh absolutely this, this was this was a game very reminiscent of what we saw from him down the stretch last year he is so good when he's got space of up the stop-start, you know, where he kind of lulls you, and then and then he just explodes. And once he gets even with you, once he gets hip to hip with you, he's beating you. I mean, you're you're not going to beat him to the rack. And and with Villanova unable to protect the rim like a Georgetown, you know, you look back at the game against Georgetown, and and Marcus tried his damnedest to to finish at the rim. He had a lot of off balance, just wild, you know, yep. eight foot in and out just trying to throw something up off the square and make it work today was a lot more traditional. Yeah. He had the really nifty reverse layup where he, he got to um, he got to the right of, um, of Gillespie and and finished underneath the rim. But outside of that, it was, it was typical Marcus where you give him enough space to work and, and he's got a chance, especially gets a slower footed defender. And there were a couple of times where, you know, it was Samuel who was on him and and Samuel can't stay with him. And and so when he gets to that point where he can just then explode and get to the rack and there's no one, you know, that is, you know, it's not no seven footers there in his way. That's, that's what Marcus can do. And so, you know, he ends up going, I think it was seven for nine from two and pretty much everything was a finish at the rim.
0: Yeah. Robbie, anything you want to touch on there in terms of why Marcus was able to, I mean, just why he was able to finish better. It's it's not that he hasn't gotten to the rim in past games. He's gotten there. Um, but other than Villanova's lack of length, like what do you think Marcus did today different than what he's done earlier in the season in terms of finishing?
2: Well, I don't know if it was Marcus, but in terms of the rest of the team, I thought that Creighton hitting shots early really prevented Villanova from sending more help in terms of a, a secondary defender at the rim to at least meet Marcus, whether it was trying to take a charge or try and contest at the rim a little bit. Um, I thought making a few shots early, um, whether it was uh, Mitch or or Denzel or Damian, making some of those shots early, I think, helped keep them a little bit more honest on the weak side and preventing some of the defenders to come over. Because a lot of times, like you said, Marcus can get to the rim on um, just about everybody, but it's either – the length of the defender, he gets caught, he gets kind of caught from behind or, or is physical enough to kind of bother him. Or there's a rim protector or a secondary defender. Um, I thought Creighton's shooting the ball well, right off the bat, really allowed um, him to not have to worry about another defender coming to help. Cause they had to stay out on the perimeter.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm actually glad Mitch dropped a 20 piece tonight because he earned it in the first half because his gravity created all that space for Marcus and Christian to take over the game. 100%. Like for them to get going off it, there wasn't a single one of those lobs or flip-ups or anything in that two-man game that Marcus and Christian were doing that didn't happen on Mitch's side of the floor. And the only reason it happens on Mitch's side of the floor as well as it did was because that's an that's an automatic tag for a Villanova defender. They cannot leave Mitch because they know that Mitch and Marcus have such a good like rapport with each other that if Marcus reads – That there's any kind of cheating going on in terms of stopping Christian from getting the free run to the rim, it's an Mm -hmm. easy flip back to Mitch for a rhythm three. So they'd rather they basically did the thing that a lot of defenses have done. They said we'd rather you dunk on our heads than make us eat a three. Like that's that's essentially what Creighton's offense, when it's at its best, makes a defense choose between. And Villanova chose to get dunked on, and that's kind of how Christian got going. The only problem was it was you let Christian and Marcus both get heated up. And then in the second half, when you adjusted, Mitch got rolling. <laughs> so you they kind of gambled in both halves. They're like, well, maybe Mitch has, since he hasn't shot it as much in the first half, he's not on. So we can play it differently. And since he's not in a rhythm, then he got, and he didn't miss in the second half, I don't think. But he was four for four from three, five for five from three, I think.
1: Mitch, missed, he missed one. He missed oh, he one didn't? in the second half.
0: He okay. Yeah, yeah, he but, missed I mean, one, but it was,
1: it was
2: late.
0: Yeah, it was but super he late. Missed, he
2: missed his first four.
0: Yeah, but John, is that how you watched it from your view? Like, did you see that the defense was was playing that that kind of action differently, based on what we can assume is a gamble on Mish not being in a rhythm from the way they defended him in the first half, and then they kind of it kind of backfired based on that the fact that he got rolling.
1: And and notice what was the in the first half? It was one of his patented twenty-eight footers. You know, and so that just instantly just creates this. Oh my God, not this again! And so you're right. You can't. You got to tag, and you've got to you've got to keep a guy on him, and and respect that for the entire game. And Jay Wright said on uh, Friday that you know it, Creighton's one of those teams where you know they can get so many guys hot. We've got to be able to identify who's the hottest, and then attack that. And that's what they did. They identify. Okay, it was Marcus, and it was Christian. Well, they made the adjustments and then guess what happened? Mitch goes four for his first four, but don't underestimate those seven straight points that Denzel got out of the locker room. I, you know, I know that Creighton controlled this game in the second half, but I think those seven points were big because Denzel hadn't done anything to that point. He It's that first little mid-range jumper on the first possession. Um, and then, and then, you know, gets another and then hits the three in the corner and 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 then all of a sudden, Villanova's going, okay, now what do we do? Because we got to slow down Zegarowski. We got to protect the rim against Bishop. We've got this guy hitting 30-footers against us. Oh, and now here's Denzel Mahoney. And and so I think those seven points, they're not going to show up big in a scorebook. But I think from a momentum standpoint, I think it came at the exact
2: right time.
0: Yeah, Robbie, anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, just that. I mean, you mentioned the the two man game with with Christian and Marcus. That was um, all happening because of Mitch's gravity. Um, and yeah, it seemed like Villanova made the choice of, hey, we'd rather get our heads dunked on than have Mitch shoot, you know, the lights out on us. But that's very easy to say until you start getting your head dunked on. Correct and then like that doesn't feel good
0: when it's happening you're like let's stop this yeah
2: this is a lot harder (laughs) to palette than i thought it was (laughs) going to be um and i think honestly i think that's a lot of what happened i mean i think they thought their coverage on on the two-man game would be better than it was um without cheating off of mitch and obviously it wasn't um the fact that Marcus was able to beat his defender basically every time put them in a really terrible position um, in terms of trying to defend both Marcus and uh, Christian as he's running to the rim. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can say, Hey, we'll live with getting our heads dunked on. Um, But it's kind of like the, like Mike Tyson quote, like, yeah, like that's your plan until it actually starts to happen, until you get punched in the face. Yeah. And then you're like, whoa, 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 I, I actually don't like this. Um, <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's – I think that's a lot of what happened. And so they made an adjustment in the second half, and the thing that they didn't want to beat them ended up beating them. Now, Denzel, again, like John said, played a huge part in that because it was just another thing they then had to cover – That's kind of been the thing with Creighton this year is they haven't had a lot of games where two or three guys are going at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you've got Mitch going at the same time as Marcus, as the same time as Denzel, as the same time as Christian, there's no good options there. Right. In terms of, Oh, well, let's try and stop the rim running. Okay. Well then Mitch is going to shoot you out of the gym. Okay. Well, let's run out on Mitch. Okay. Well, he's going to rotate to Denzel and he's going to get some runners and some open threes and then okay, well, let's be honest on everybody else. Well, then Marcus Zagorowski just runs to the rim all day uncontested. Yeah. Like if all of those guys are going simultaneously, there are no good options.
0: No. I mean the other thing with Marcus is like you mentioned earlier, he's a great off the dribble shooter. Not good, a great off-the-dribble shooter. One you know, so if they take away the lob game and Mitch, they're basically playing drop coverage and Marcus is gonna make you eat threes. If you 100%. If you tag the, the lob man with a weak side defender, you're leaving the flip back to Mitch. You're eating threes from Mitch. If you tag Mitch and uh, hedge Marcus, you're getting dunked on. That's what I'm talking about. That simple little, like, it's kind of that simple little triangular action that Creighton can run there with the way they put those guys together on the same side of the floor. That is unguardable when they're on. You know what I mean? Because you're basically praying for a miss. You can't defend it all. It's impossible. Unless you're in a zone defense, unless you're in a zone defense, which Villanova also tried, unless you're in a zone, you cannot defend that action. You're You're getting scored on one way or the other.
2: Well, and if by chance you get lucky and you recover to Mitch in time or you recover to Christian in time, then they swing it out to Denzel and you have another 20 point score to deal with. Mm -hmm. So even if by chance you do it, everything perfectly and you guard the two man game, right. And you recover back to Mitch in time that he doesn't feel comfortable getting a shot off. Then he swings it to Denzel and your whole defense is compromised while he's just running downhill to the rim or shooting an open three. That's why when you get all of those people going at the same time, it becomes a real problem. And that's why we haven't, in my opinion, seen this type of offensive performance from Creighton, at least in a while, you could maybe argue that the Seton Hall performance was similar to this. um, The first one, the second one, they just kind of shot the lights out of the ball late, but the, the first one when they win by 36 or whatever, and could have been 50, that's the only, that's the last time you can really say like they got multiple people going but when they do that, there's, there's just nothing you can do. Like you have to choose an option and one of them, like, you're going to get, you're going to get beat on it. No matter which option you choose, if everybody's going.
1: Yeah. You really can't, you know, you could look back at, at St. John's and say that was complete, but the way St. John's plays though, it's such a helter skelter game where you're just getting so many shots in transition because of the way that they defend and everything's in a broken floor. This was a little more, you know, at quarter court structured. And, and Matt, I think you described it very well. It's just when everybody is contributing or everyone is a threat, it, it's almost impossible to guard. And then, Oh, by the way, Mitch might pull up from 30 and make it look like he's shooting it. When in fact, he's actually passing it to Christian and they got mm-hmm. no choice but to foul it. Yeah. 100%. Well, I,
0: it's just, it's just, the trust and the continuity and the repetitions those guys have built up together makes it as effective as it is. I mean, that's kind of why when you're watching that thing develop as Marcus is a freshman and Mitch is a sophomore and Christian is a freshman, like you can see flashes of it and you're like, Oh man, that these guys have moments in the gym where if that thing starts to sync together on a consistent basis, they're going to be really tough to guard. Like even, you know, throw Tyshawn in there because that's when it started clicking last year. And I think it's part of – it goes back – I think I, I want this to be maybe a message for everybody as they're watching a young group learn how to play in this system. It takes repetition for you to get that feel together. And you have to do it together. Like that's how you build the chemistry to know where everybody's on the floor, the timing, um, where guys like to have the shot, where they have to catch it on in the shooting pocket. Um, so they're in rhythm on the catch or how, where Christian likes the lob in terms of the, the depth, how high he likes it, how high he can go and get it. All that stuff takes massive amounts of repetition. So you see it in flashes, but it takes years to develop the consistency with it that you're now seeing that it when it clicks in games like this against elite teams. Um, and it didn't take till what the second half of last year before it took off. And you're like, oh, wow, that's what, That's what looked like – what now looks consistent was in flashes before, and I want that to be a prevailing message going forward. Like, thread this through through every major recruiting class you're super excited about, and when it doesn't hit the ground running, do not bail on it, okay? Don't call these guys busts. Don't say they're disappointing. Just, like, they will get it together through repetition because that's what the system cultivates. Um, That's the culture of of the player development. It's about repetition, and if you just get hard-working dudes in the gym, together they'll figure it out. And that's what you're seeing right now with Creighton as one of the elite offenses in the country the last year and a half, essentially, is all of that repetition, all that work together, it flows in a game and you see it. Like the 40 minutes that you are all basically turning Twitter into a celebration, essentially, is like that's uh, that's all built in through time, through through – Hours in the gym, and you have to
1: get and, to, to, to and, and remember, and sorry, Matt, and remember, we we've been going through a pandemic, and so
0: mm-hmm.
1: the usual practices weren't happening in September. Yep. And right before the season started, they pretty much had one game that would work as a scrimmage. Normally, they have several scrimmages in September and a close scrimmage against another team. They only had one of those mm-hmm. as as just a group. And and so it's hard to get that continuity and I think you're starting to finally see some of that come together. And I know it's coming late in the season, but you know, that experience has helped them so much through these we'll call them struggles. But I'm I'm guys, I still think that that, that Creighton is a prisoner of what we expect them to be. Oh yeah. And that is we we, we have this image in our heads going back to you know, basically when Mac started running this system with Doug McDermott, and that is when Creighton is winning, they're winning games that look like, you know, let it fly, 12 threes a game, um, you know, 80 points a game, and, and they're high-scoring, high-possession games. And we've seen so many times this year that they have not won those types of games that people are thinking, what's going on? Well, what's going on is everyone's going through a pandemic. You know, the guys haven't been around these, each other as much, but because of their experience that they, they they've been able to grit out some of these wins, these non-traditional Creighton wins that, that we're not used to seeing and, 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 and folks wonder what the problem is. Well, the problem is nothing. The problem is they have the same record as they had at this point last year. Oh, and by the way, They just beat the number five team in the country by 16 because you knew at some point the shots were going to start falling again. They started falling tonight, and everyone got into the app.
0: Yeah, Ravi, I mean, on that point, I know you've, like, heard we've talked about this working theory that, like, Jordan Scurry and I have going here. But, like, you look at the way they're winning. They look like a team that is just kind of compiling all this information about how to win every type of game that's what an experienced team kind of does sometimes. I know it's probably – it's certainly, like, frustrating from a fan standpoint to watch them lose to Providence and Marquette and Georgetown at home and lose to a Butler team that's that's a sub-500 team. Um, But all that stuff just teaches an experienced group how to approach every type of game, essentially. Um, And even in the grinders that they've won – they're going to find themselves in those in March. Like not every game is going to be the prettiest thing in the world. You have to still find a way to get it done. So that way at the end of the year, you're not talking about, well, we didn't get to play our style of basketball today. And that's why we're going home. You have in March, you have to find a way to to advance despite not playing your style of basketball sometimes. So that's what I think this, this group is doing because they're, they're very aware of what their, what their goals are and what their expectations are. So I think John's 100% right that they are kind of like prisoners of their own expectations because every game that, f- that fans and um, media observers watch of them, they're kind of like measuring Creighton against themselves when we don't factor in the, f- the, the notion that every team that Creighton has played up to this point with the exception of Kansas has, been, has put the target on Creighton's back, has put the onus on them to be the better team. And with that comes like a certain sense of like entitlement or complacency. Like, yeah, Creighton doesn't, Creighton doesn't look like the team with the edge today, but the reason is because they're being hunted right now. And when you're the hunted, you don't have the edge. You never, you never do like you have to find that yourself today. Uh, today was one example. Seton hall at home was another example because there's just a fire there when they play Seton hall. Um Creighton had an edge to him. I mean, that's because that felt organic to them.
2: Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that and we've talked about this before with the expectations, but I think people came into this season expecting to pick up exactly where they left off on what was it, March seventh against Seton Hall yeah. in the in the CHI Center. I think they expected day one to look like that. And that is not realistic. Um, especially when you're – I get you're bringing back, you know, five of your six top scores or whatever, but the sixth was Tyshawn Alexander. Like, that's a big deal. Um, and I think people – it's kind of like that phenomenon people talk about, like, when you're comparing your life to people's, like, Instagram photos or whatever. Like, they're comparing the worst of this year's Creighton team to the best of last year's Creighton team. And that's not – like, this Creighton team got – boat raced by san diego state last year and they lost to a really bad georgetown team last year and like a lot of the same stuff happened last year that we ended on such a high note that is happening this year that isn't over yet like we're in the middle of it still yeah
0: isn't the isn't the georgetown loss the only one that's by more than two possessions right now
2: yeah they're they have seven points yeah, that's yeah. Seven it. points is their worst loss of the season, and right. they come back, hold that team to forty-eight points, and beat them by fifteen. Yeah. Six days later.
0: Yeah. They, so they basically punted on offense and rolled. Still.
2: Yeah, and, and so there's there's that whole part of the expectations, and then you also have it's not even a, a results expectation; it's a how it should look expectation too, right? Right. Like, yeah. Creighton fans style, are style so style points. Good. Yes, Creighton fans yep. are so used to it being pretty. Mm-hmm. And listen, that's part of the reason I like Creighton because I like watching pretty basketball. But I need you to win the ugly ones too, because otherwise you'll never make it to the second weekend. Yeah, like that's just how also you it can is. Ide-
0: also you can identify when an ugly game is going. You can like a team can start to panic a little bit because they don't have the the they can't rely on the fact that they've because won the out type of, their of comfort game zone. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah.
2: And if you if they, if they never get out of their comfort zone in the regular season, then when it happens in the postseason, they yep. lose. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've seen time and time again with Creighton basketball is somebody doesn't let them play their style in the NCAA tournament, and then they lose. Well, this team has shown a ton this year. Okay, they can win the grinders. They can win a defensive battle. They can win when they only make four threes or whatever and shoot 20% from three-point range. They can win all these different styles, and it just gives you a larger uh, margin of error, right? You don't have to say, if we don't hit 15 threes, we're not winning this game, or if we don't shoot 40% from three, we're not winning this game. It gives you so much more leeway in terms of, okay, we're facing – You know, we're facing a grinded out, let's say UCLA. They're going to play UCLA in the tournament, right? And you got these ugly Mick Cronin basketball games. Well, Creighton's ready for that now, right? And they've played these ugly games now. And they've played them against better teams than UCLA. So they're in a position where they're no longer out of their comfort zone when they're not playing their pretty style of basketball because they've been there before. They've done that, and they've won that way. And – Yes, I prefer it when they score 90 points and make 15 threes too. Everyone prefers that. It's way more fun. Yeah. Okay? But you know what is way more fun than scoring 90 points in February, making the sweet 16 in March. Right? And that's what they're working towards now.
1: Well, look at look at every game in the MAC era in the NCAA tournament. They've all been grinders. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the wins. Yeah. You know, yep. the, the game against you know when when uh, when the Jays beat Alfred Payton and, and Louisiana. That was that wasn't a pretty basketball game.
0: Or the, or the Cincinnati and Alabama. Out. Cincinnati and Alabama were grinders. Those were horrible basketball.
1: Yeah, those, those were the ultimate grinders. Yeah. And then of course, all the losses have been the same as well. So these are the games you you won against UConn and Providence and Xavier and you know the, those types of games. The, the, the Georgetown game for last week. That's what you're expected to win in March Yep. because it's, you know, first off Creighton is very rarely in a position where it's playing a completely outmatched team. The Mm -hmm. highest they were seated was third, but then they drew Louisiana and they drew an NBA player. Yep. Uh, You know, so you're not playing, you're not, you're playing, you know, McNeese state or some, some dog out there where you can just go out and wow teams and, and make 15 threes. So, yeah, you you have to be ready to play these style of games. And I like the analogy of, you know, just the the Jays going out and kind of learning in every game and filing away different ways of of how to win. Because if you look at it, even in all those grinders, they've all been in different ways. And they've all come, you know, uh, with with different guys stepping to the plate or, you know, different heroes in each game. And if you can continue to do that, the diversity of your attack less of the diversity of how you're able to attack is is, going to benefit you greatly because the tournament is all about matchups. You can talk about seedings all you want, but if you draw the wrong style of matchup, especially if you're a team that plays a certain of the way like Creighton does, it it can bite you. So you you better learn to win in other ways
2: or you're not going to go far. 100% that's accurate and I just I feel like um, I feel like it's it's not just the ability to um, like you said it's not just the ability to win grinders but it's the ability to win grinders when let's say Mitch isn't shooting the ball well we've had games where uh, Marcus isn't shooting particularly well and you have to figure out a way to score points and to generate offense and all these types of things and it feels like Because like you said, John, it's all about matchups in the NCAA tournament, but matchups can mean a lot of different things. You think, oh, they're playing Creighton's pace. That's a good matchup. Well, maybe they still have a lot of length and athleticism and they're playing fast, and that's maybe not a great matchup. Or maybe they like to slow down and grind it out, but they uh, don't have the rim protection. And so Marcus Zagorowski can waltz to the rim all day. And so that's a great matchup, even though it's not the pace you would think. I I feel like Creighton has spent – a lot of this season and maybe not intentionally like I don't know that they're choosing like hey we're gonna play super slow today or hey we're gonna make sure Mitch doesn't get going today and see if we can win without him like I don't think they're doing that intentionally but they've gone out a bunch of different times and shown that they can win a multitude of matchups and it's not just fast or slow or physical or finesse there's lots of different kinds of matchups and the more matchups you can get comfortable with the better chance you have of winning in March, Mm -hmm. you know, and they've gotten a pretty good versatile uh, sample of those
0: this year. And I think that's something that the big East kind of does naturally, which is why I kind of laugh when I'm like, I don't know. I laugh when I look at these uh, for like the bracket reveal today or just the general feel for who thinks highly of which conference, like, when you look at the Big East – when I look at the Big East, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not. When I look at the Big East, I see a very diverse playing style, like style of play. You're going to face – like St. John's doesn't play like Seton Hall does. Uh, uh, Villanova doesn't play like UConn. No one plays like Creighton. Like There are so many different ways to like skin the cat, essentially, in this league because of the way coaches opt for to play the game. When you look around the country, like, all ACC teams play pretty similar. All Big Ten teams play pretty similar. Um, all, all SEC teams look pretty similar. Like, there are styles in that league that kind of just come with the territory, essentially. I, I, don't, I don't think the Big East gets enough credit for how it prepares its teams for the postseason, essentially, because you'll see different styles in different games throughout the last two months of the regular season and in the Big East tournament. That when you get to the NCAA tournament, you kind of have seen it all at this point. I think I think Jay Wright has actually mentioned that in, in some of like his lookbacks on his championship teams, the teams that have won national titles. He feels like he, he felt like the Big East prepared them for the NCAA tournament because they saw every type of way you can possibly play a game before they even got to March. So whatever was thrown at them, they were ready for. If this team plays fast, okay, we'll go back to our crate and film and we'll watch how we – how we try to control tempo and what, what ways makes teams that have a lot of shooters uncomfortable. Uh, If we play a physical team that has more size and length inside against us, all right, we'll figure out how to stretch the floor and move it and, and take those fives away from the rim and and allow our offense to, to get into a better rhythm. Like all that type of stuff, everything in the big East prepares teams for March. And I think that is an underrated aspect of the league. I think, especially when I think about it nationally.
1: No, I would agree. I mean, and it's been that way. I think ever since the Jays came into the league, in fact, Creighton probably they, they ushered in the the only way that hadn't been tried yet.
0: Sure, yeah, in the
1: Big East, because oh, the Big East once upon a time, kind of like the Big Ten, you had the legendary centers, you know, and 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 it was an inside-out, grinded-out, you know, physical style game. And there's still elements of that, but now you've got more elements of skill. You've got elements of speed. You've got you know, guys playing closer to the rim. And, and, and you're right there, you know, especially in like the big 10, it seems like every team in the big 10, you know, the, the old adage is, well, you got to have a seven foot big who can just man the inside and, and beat the crud out of you. And that's just kind of the, the mindset that comes in that conference. And if you don't play that way, well, then you'll get lost Well, in the big East. No one cares. I mean, Mike Anderson's team, it's 94 feet. It's spread the floor. It's, play aggressive. It's try to take the ball away. Um, You know, Marquette and even like Marquette has kind of gone through a little bit of a a change without the uh, the shooters that they had like Rousey and, and, uh, and Marcus Howard, Mm -hmm. but you're still seeing, you're seeing them kind of transition a little bit in how they play, but there is such a great diversity in this league. And that's why I think sometimes it catches Creighton off guard because if you notice the teams that have beaten them, are the teams that are a little bit longer, a little better at the rim, and if you're not having a good shooting day, teams like Butler and, and Georgetown uh, can beat you. So, yeah, the diversity in this league is really good, and it has been, I think, ever since Creighton came into it.
0: Yeah, one thing I want to touch on before we get into questions to so kind of skim through these, so I know what we're about to what we're about to talk about here in a, in a, in a second. But I, I just kind of wanted to get you guys feel for this because I felt like it was a standout moment. I marked it down when it happened and everything that happened after the timeout that it, that it, that it prompted um, basically essentially changed the game. Like Villanova was owning the offensive glass. I mean, it was, there was one possession and this is the possession I'm talking about where it was almost like a joke. They got so many offensive rebounds. I mean, it was like, they're just going to score. And that's why Creighton gets the ball back. Essentially. It was looked like, it looked like they were playing, make it, take it without the makes. Um, but Damian Jefferson chases down that loose ball and beats he beats Jermaine Samuels to it, and then he, like, jumps out of bounds and throws it off Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So essentially, two Villanova guys beat every Creighton player to the ball, but uh, DJ fought through them to get it and then won the possession by throwing it off JRE. And, and the look on his face was like, they got the ball, but he was, like, disgusted. Damian was. Like, he was mad that that possession went the way it did. Villanova didn't score, but they had, I think, three second-chance opportunities on that possession. And when you it come out, and then you come out of the timeout, and Mac had that look in his eye like he had just spent two straight minutes yelling. And you saw how disgusted DJ was going into the timeout. Like, what in the hell are we doing out here? Why are they owning us this bad on the glass? Because it wasn't like Creighton was getting manhandled physically. They were just getting beat from an effort standpoint. It was like... Creighton's just not running to the loose ball. They're not tracking the ball. They're putting bodies on men, and then they're just like watching it, essentially. And Villanova was racing to the loose ball and corralling it. So I think they were all that all that changed the game. When well, DJ one of those one play, of those rebounds. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, Matt. One of those one of those one of those balls was was Gillespie out hustling Mitch to the floor, and and that was one of the three offensive rebounds. And I think you noticed in the second half. I don't know what the breakdown was first half to second half, but I thought Damian was – he's always been good at at playing above his height in terms of, you know, going up and getting the ball. Um, But I thought he was really good. He had a couple of big big rebounds early in that second half, and I think that kind of stemmed from the play you were just talking about where, you know, everyone was kind of disgusted and, and that, some of that's to be expected because Villanova will shoot enough threes where you're going to get those awkward caroms. You're going to get those long ricochets, and, and you know, you might lose some of those. But that possession was just absolutely ridiculous because there were a couple of times Creighton was just out-hustled to the basketball, and and after that moment, it was like, all right, we've had enough of this.
0: Yeah, Creighton, uh, yeah, Villanova uh, missed, missed 20 shots in the second half. Creighton, grabbed, Creighton rebounded 16 of them. So that was that was how that was how much
1: their defensive of those, rebounding and I think, flipped. Yeah, and I think I think most of those four rebounds were late. Yeah, very late in yep. the game. Yep. I don't, they, they, I think they had one offensive rebound in the first ten minutes
2: of the second
0: half. Yep.
2: Yeah, I, I, I thought I think the point you made about uh, DJ looking disgusted, even though they got the possession and theoretically the result that they wanted was uh was interesting because i think a lot of times especially on defense um it's really easy to be a results oriented team in terms of well they didn't make the shot they didn't score on that possession so we're okay well that doesn't mean you played good defense sometimes they just missed the shot right and more often than not if you play good defense you're going to be rewarded for it in the result but Sometimes you're going to be rewarded in the result when you play bad defense. And the fact that he was disgusted despite getting the result that he wanted, I thought is really good progress from where this team's come defensively because Damian recognized hey, our effort in the process of this was not good enough, regardless of how we, regardless of the fact that they didn't score and we got the ball back. 100%. And that's a huge difference, especially when you're a really good offensive team. It's really easy to just hope for misses. And say, we'll outscore them because we're better at scoring than they are. And most of the time with Creighton, they are better scoring than the other team is. But the difference between, like we said, a team that you have to rely on just getting hot and hoping for the best in March and a team that can you can rely on or expect to make the second second weekend is a team that is devoted to the defensive process, not just hoping for the right result. And I think that part with DJ was a was a sign of that.
0: That's a level of maturity, I think, that only shows itself through experience. You yeah. it's only only by experiencing the ways that the game is played at this level through years of just seeing it, essentially experiencing it firsthand, can you be mature enough to be upset with your teammates over the fact that you just earned a possession against a top five team, essentially? Like you can consider that like a win in a, in a tough battle, like, Oh man, it's hard to get a rebound here. I'm glad we got that one. No, he was like upset because, Hey, that's not our standard of, our of defense right there. We're just, we're we're basically running around like our heads are cut off and Villanova's grabbing everything. Like we got to fight harder than this. And I think that takes a level of maturity that only comes through experience.
1: And I also think that team meeting that they had last week, the players only meeting, we talked to Mitch on the radio after the game and and you know they 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 kind of downplayed what was said but it sounded like there were some pretty open honest heart-to-heart conversations that were had and I I think some of it is probably you know just the general frustration I mean this has been a rough time for everybody but you know the usual experience of what college basketball has been you know I, I don't go on the road with the guys but I've heard you know kind of what the procedure is and You know, usually you get a lot of great team bonding activities that happen. Mm -hmm. There's none of that. I mean, they go to, they they fly to the, you know, the other town, they go to the hotel, they're stuck in the hotel. They go to practice, you know, they're stuck in the hotel. They play the game, they get on the plane, or they they play the game, then they get on the plane to go to the next town. And there's no, there's none of that team bonding stuff. And I, so, so I think, and, and Max talked about this a lot this year, you know, just how, how less joyful the basketball games have been. And he's been very open about that. And so I think, you know, having that team meeting and just kind of letting everyone just kind of get their frustrations out. Um, and, and I think you've seen it now manifest there in the last three games, you know, just the, the communication, the, the sharing of the ball, um, you know, guys trusting each other. Uh, not that it was awful before, but I just think they needed a, a reset um, and just kind of a reminder of okay, we're we're down here to the last month of the season and we're getting close to that point where we had to stop last year. Well, hopefully there ain't gonna be no stopping and 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 we're gonna get a chance to get basically get back to where we left off last year. And and if we're gonna do that, we've got to be honest with each other. We've got to be open with each other. And so I think that team meeting really helped. Just. It, and, and, and it and that is only possible, Matt, because of that maturity. Yep. Young guys might not be able to handle that, but guys that have been around each other long enough are going to be more open, more honest with each other. And so I, I think that 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 fed into a little bit of what happened today as well.
0: Yeah, it's like it's a little bit twofold when you have those types of meetings because you have to have the maturity to know what to say, and you also have to have the maturity to know how to respond to when it's being directed at you. And that's what those team meetings yep. are all about, right? It's all about self-reflection, but open, honest dialogue about what ails us essentially. And some of that can seem personal if you don't have the maturity to use the information in the right way. And I think that's one of the things that I noticed today. And I've kind of been, I i, I think I noticed it a little bit when when after the Marquette game, like the way DJ was playing, I think I asked him this after that game too. Because, like, don't you remember last year? And I'll hand this one off to Robbie, and then we'll get into questions. But don't you remember last year, um, that last month of the season when they were rolling, how much fun they were having on the floor? Like, it looked like they were playing in an all-star game, essentially. And these are tough, hard Big East games. But they made a lot of them look easy for large stretches of the game because when they were flowing – and feeding off the crowd and feeding off each other. There was not anything that could that could throw them off their game because they were having so much fun playing it. So that was one thing I noted today was you saw Marcus get in his bag a little bit today, right? He had his best game of the year from a statistical standpoint. Um, and you saw him crack a smile. And I, and I didn't – when it happened, it, it kind of like shook me a little bit because I'm like, oh, yeah. Marcus smiles when he's playing well. He hasn't smiled yeah. all year. And I'm like, that might be the first time. Now, the camera doesn't show us everything, so not being in the arena might take this away from uh, our ability to uh, you know, analyze, analyze the performances. But that's the first time I can remember him smiling this year. And I'm like, that's Creighton basketball right there. Like, they, they'll shoot a three, they'll throw a lob to the rim, they'll dunk it. And then they'll like laugh about it and go down and play defense. Like they'll literally laugh and smile about it because that's when they're at their best. So when they are smiling, I think they know that, Oh yeah, this is how we're supposed to do it right here. And I wonder, I kind of wonder if the team meeting brought that out a little bit, like, Hey, remember we're supposed to be enjoying this. Like that's how we were at our best last year when we were all having fun feeding off each other. And I, and I, and Ravi, like, I know watching when you're watching the warriors become who they are, Like, all that stuff that made them so hated across the league and across, like, uh, sports fans, uh, the sports world. Like, it was all because of, like, their showmanship within their success, right? The way they kind of um, emoted their successes on the court. And it's like, when you're playing, when you're having fun and playing that way, it just kind of rolls and becomes unstoppable in itself. So uh, that's what I noticed today. It was like Marcus smiled, and I'm like, oh, yeah that's what Creighton looks like when they're firing in all cylinders.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the, that part of it for sure. And um, I wonder how much of, I wonder how much of the lack of joy besides all the weirdness in terms of their schedules and the way they have to um, the way they have to be careful to, to make sure they can play these games. But I also feel like because it's a level of showmanship that brings out a lot of that joy, the lack of the fans is a big deal for this team. Um, They, you could tell during that stretch last year that they really fed off the home crowd. And sometimes the opposing crowds too, frankly. Um, But like Seton Hall for sure, that once the crowd kind of got to a certain point, like there was a tipping point in that game where the crowd and and the Jays were feeding off of each other and they just pushed Seton Hall right off the mountain there. And I wonder when you do play with that kind of joy and you play with that kind of energy and showmanship, how much the lack of fans affects that and affects your ability to play with that. Cause you're, I mean, listen, they're to a certain extent, sometimes they are showing off for the fans. Like, I think that I think that's part of it that people don't always appreciate. Like, and when you're playing a place like Creighton, where you're playing in front of 18,000 a night, like it's a pretty rewarding experience to show off for the fans and have them love you for it. Mm -hmm. Right. And it feels like they're, um, you know, Mitchell do something cool and I'll kind of hop on the one leg as he's waiting for a three to fall. And then, it's, you know, a smattering of applause, because there's only 1800 people in the building. And it's just, there's, that's got to be disappointing a little bit, you know, like, yes, they still love basketball, because they love basketball. But when you're used to, for the last three years, just having when you do something crazy like that, having praise just heaped upon you by eighteen thousand people or or having
0: the ground shake below your feet basically yeah
2: yeah there has to be a level of letdown when that doesn't happen because there was a couple shots today where i was like man the roof would have just blown off the building yeah in any normal scenario like every every three mitch
0: every three mitch hit would have detonated yeah at
2: a certain point where it like started escalating with the mitch threes and you're just like oh no like the, the roof would have flown off, right? Yeah. And that obviously didn't happen. And so I think that is a part of it, the lack of joy that sometimes has seemed to – it's been a very workmanlike season. And when you play like Creighton, that takes away some of your edge because, yes, they work hard, but a lot of it is also the showmanship of all the things they can do on a basketball court, mm-hmm. especially on the offensive end. The rewards of that are just – not the same that they were last year.
0: Yeah, John, were you were you having fun today?
1: I was having
2: a blast,
0: <laughs> and I
1: thought the I actually thought the crowd, you know, for the eighteen hundred that were in there was as it was the loudest eighteen hundred we've had this year. Dude, I, it I was thought,
0: it was loud on TV? I felt like it was full. You
1: know, yeah, and and a little bit of that is manipulation by by television because we get the same crowd feed uh, up in the radio booth as oh, okay. they do. And they were and they were riding that game pretty heavy, and there were times where I had to adjust. But you know, just being there, uh, it, it was still an, as energetic an eighteen hundred as, as we've had all year.
0: Well, there's a little inside baseball for everybody because I definitely felt it watching them. Like, holy crap, these people are being loud today. That was nice. Yeah, they they definitely rode
1: the, they rode the crowd levels a little hotter today on Fox than than they have this year.
0: Gotcha. Well, it enhanced the enhanced the viewing experience at home. So, like, dang, this place is juiced. Um, let's jump into questions. We got a handful of them, but I think some of them will allow us to to branch off into different topics. Um let's see. uh so Barry uh Barry Zub uh thinks maybe that Creighton can pick up a game because they have this 10 11 day break essentially before they play to Paul. um Matt kind of shot that down a little bit in the post game presser so. I don't think that's what they're after right now. I I think that they're going to use this to build off this offensive performance here and see if they can get guys into a better rhythm, um, work on some of the things that maybe that at this point in the season, they feel like are still deficient. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they're going to, I don't know if they're going to chase an opponent. They certainly don't need a big East one. They're, they're all caught up. They're not behind on big East games. They're ahead.
1: No, they, they, they played them all. And, and what what is their gain by it? You're not going to, you know, are yeah. you going to pick up a, a, a non-conference opponent that's going to be good enough to improve your resume? Probably not. So you're just going out there chasing another win for a win. Right. They, they've been pointing to this break um, for for a couple of weeks, and if they were to play an extra game, I would be stunned. I think they want this break. They want to work on themselves. They want to get a little R&R or whatever you can get from R&R. But, yeah, no, there's not going to be another game until the ball.
0: Yeah, the only thing – when I look at it today, based on the reveal, like the bracket reveal, I don't know if that put that in – would have put that in their minds had they lost today that they should chase a resume booster somewhere if there's one available, if team has an opening. Um, but beating Villanova today, I feel like took care of the nonsense we saw earlier with the bracket reveal. I call it nonsense because I felt like it was. But, like, I think that – I think beating Villanova the way they did took care of that. So I don't think they need – or they feel like they need to chase a game anymore. And I think they can use this, this, you know, week and a half essentially to build themselves up in their own gym without having to prove who they are just to the outside world, essentially. Robbie
2: agree. I I tend to agree. I think picking up, I mean, I, I think the break is way more beneficial to Creighton than any game they could pick up. I, I, I don't think that is even a remote possibility.
0: Well I think it's a remote possibility. I just don't think it's gonna happen. Um let's see our next question. Um where are we at? Uh J fan O2, hey, right up John Bishop Sally. Uh did the players only did the players only meeting involve the players yelling at Mitch for not shooting and threatening threatening to threatening to I guess throw him off the team if he doesn't show at least seven threes a game. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we did we did say there was some honest conversations, right? So if you're criticizing Mitch, what are you criticizing him for? Essentially, not shooting enough, maybe. I don't know if that happened or not. He's definitely shot the. Dead, I doubt it.
1: I mean, yeah, he did. So I guess I you know maybe it's easy for us to to surmise based yeah. on. The six for eight performance. It was yeah, shoot more. But <laughs> I would say this though, as far as, on a serious side, it's not like Mitch has turned down that many open shots. I mean, teams have done a good job of staying on him, and yep. he has had some he has had some tough games in terms of finding open shots. So I would I would challenge anybody to think, well, Mitch doesn't shoot it enough. Well. <laughs> a lot of those times it was because he couldn't shoot because he was guarded. So um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too excited about, you know, whether or not he's taking enough shots. Yeah. He'll occasionally pass one up. I thought he passed one up today that he should have shot. Instead he gave it to Denzel in the corner, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, other than that, I, listen, it wasn't that big a deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Robbie is demonstratively shaking his head. Uh, like, <laughs> I I know when, when, when Mitch passed up the one that John's talking about that Ravi put a hole in some in one wall in his house. Like
2: I was that's... so mad. I was so <laughs> mad. Um I will say I think John's right. I don't think recently he's passed very many open looks up. Um I think there was a stretch earlier in the season where he seemed like he wasn't comfortable catching it or something for a few games where I felt like he was passing up maybe three or four pretty open looks a game. And listen, I, I understand that it's all just like a comfort and feel thing for him. So, you know, you don't necessarily want a guy who's not comfortable shooting it anyway. Um, but it, it seemed like there was a weird stretch where he just wasn't catching it right or something. Um, I think that's passed. My only argument for uh, Mitch being more aggressive is I would like to see him take advantage of, and he, he has in the last couple of games, of guys flying out on him on that pump fake and going to the rim. And he started mm-hmm. doing that a little bit more. Um, but there was a stretch earlier in the season where he wasn't going to the rim at all. And that was really frustrating.
0: Well, I think that home um, game against Providence, it was like, okay, you're being way too passive because you've blown by dudes now and you're not looking yeah. at the score. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I, I feel like he's kind of corrected that part of it, Yeah, but that would be my only complaint in terms of aggressiveness is when he um when he does have a guy come flying out on him to go ahead and and get to the rim if he can because honestly he's been pretty good finishing he's been um he's been pretty effective at that so I just I always want to see just a little bit more of that but he's, he's gotten a lot better there also
0: yeah you know what I think I'm gonna put out there going forward and I and I probably need him to come back next year for this really to have a lot of legs but I think we for this podcast need to have a sponsored segment for the Mitch question. Cause like I said, <laughs> for the uninitiated, John, you've only, I think this is the second time you've been on this podcast and Robbie, you've been on a handful, but like the Mitch question gets asked every stinking game. If he goes off, it's like, why does he do that every game? If he doesn't go off, it's like, why doesn't he shoot more? So I think if anyone's listening out there and you're like, you know, you, you know, you're looking to sponsor a segment of white and blue review, the Mitch question I feel like is a big opportunity because it is a frequent question on this podcast. So let's spin it around and turn it into a positive. You want to sponsor the Mitch question? Hit us up. Um, let's see what we got. Let's see what we got next. My phone closed up there. Uh, I feel like it should be sponsored by like a shooting range. Oh. <laughs> what about what's the uh, what's the uh, What's that like top golf thing where the, it's like a uh, you know, just like everybody, just it's like multiple levels of, of driving, yeah top, golf. yeah. top golf, yeah, yep. Get the, so get the owners of top golf to sponsor the Mitch question, where it's just like we don't have to jump into the gun territory essentially. And
2: <laughs> fair enough, <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta like wide-eyed, you have to have a wide-eyed view of that type of stuff, just coming at it from a business standpoint. Um, uh, Ting wants to know. This is a pretty good question. Uh, Gillespie and Robinson Earl held the six for 25 from the field. What specifically from the Jays game plan shut those guys down tonight? Um, Who started with the last question, John? We'll go with Ravi next after this one. Um, You know what? I think it was like Marcus Zegarowski and Christian Bishop. Like, I don't know if Creighton did anything fancy with those guys. I think they were like, look, Here's what everybody says are, like, the dudes in terms of, like, the point guard center uh, combo in the league. Like, how do you guys feel about that, essentially? I thought Christian and Marcus played with a chip on their shoulder today. Like, JRE is the – um, he's kind of building some momentum, building some steam, rightfully so, as the player of the year in the league, essentially, right now. Uh, And then Colin was right there with Marcus in the preseason for – some preseason player of the year love. It felt like it was down to those two guys, essentially. I think they took this matchup a little personally. I think they were like, all right, these are the dudes everybody's kind of measuring us against. Let's see who's, let's see what's what. And honestly, I I was extremely surprised at how much of a mismatch it was today. I think you're
1: exactly right. I mean, consider you got Colin Gillespie, who's the point guard on the supposed best team in the conference. Mm -hmm. And he's going up against the preseason conference player of the year. And and then you have Christian who uh, he and JRE, they I believe they played AAU games against each other. I mean, they're from the same neck of the woods. Yep. So there's some familiarity there. Also, uh, you might not remember. Maybe you don't remember. Christian got shut out last year in the in the in the second game. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't score at all. And 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 I thought, you know, maybe a little bit of that may have played into today. And I noticed something. Coming into the building, well, I was already in the building. But when I um, when I was sitting up there waiting for Mac to come over and do our pregame, when Mac came into the building, first thing he did. Normally, he comes in. He comes in the opposite tunnel, like where the with the opposition team, their tunnel. That's usually where he enters the arena. Well, he entered the arena out of out of the opposite tunnel um, on the media side, and immediately walked over to Christian. And I, I couldn't tell, I thought, I, I, I didn't know if he had a, a sheet in his hand or maybe it was an iPad or something, but I think there was a conversation that went on, um, maybe something that Mac noticed in a game plan or, or noticed that they hadn't had a chance to go over and they had a, you know, probably like a three, four or five minute conversation before Mac went to the locker room. And so, uh, you know, I, I think, I think he, he was aware, I think Christian was aware of how big it was for him. And, and he knew that he would have a good matchup today because, you know, JRE, he's, he's a great player, but he doesn't normally see a lot of guys who can guard him from the five position.
0: Oh, 100%. Like yeah.
1: And and that's a totally different look. And so I, I, I wish I would have remembered to ask Mac about that after the game. Uh, what he may have been talking about, but I think this was pretty important for both of them. So to your point, I think you're right. I think both of them, Marcus and, and Christian, had, had something to prove today, and and they went out and they they flat out outplayed them both in at every
0: level. Yeah, no, that's the that's the one thing I didn't think about coming in because you're always kind of thinking about how is Creighton compromised? You know, when you go into these games, you don't really think about. I kind of figured Villanova was compromised from a defensive standpoint in terms of they just don't guard the dribble all that well and I'm like well Creighton's gonna get a lot of good shots today I feel like if it's all about if they knock come down because Villanova doesn't guard the dribble well they haven't done it for about a year and a half essentially at a high level so I'm like yeah I feel like that's an area Creighton can exploit the the other thing was I you know watching Jeremiah Robinson Earl these last few games like he and and then looking and breaking down his numbers and seeing how much of he's improved in his mid-range shooting and his three-point shooting I'm like wow I don't know if Creighton has defended a five like that in a while. And looking back to last year's matchup, as you go down and break down the film, you're like, they didn't even guard Jeremiah Robinson Earl out there. Like if you wanted to go to 15 feet and beyond, they were basically like, you know, like Bilbo Baggins in, uh, in the Hobbit. Like I'm going on an adventure, like go right ahead, buddy. (laughs) Like you can live out there all damn day if you want to, because we don't really care if you're out there. Um, this year was different. Like you have to guard Jeremiah Robinson Earl at every spot on the floor, essentially, because he has added to his offensive game. The thing that you mentioned right there that I didn't factor in was like, oh yeah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl hasn't guarded anybody like Christian all year either. So we've kind of found out what that 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 thing was too. That 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 sort of was double edged. Like Creighton hasn't guarded a Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but Jeremiah Robinson Earl hasn't guarded a Christian Bishop.
2: Well, not just that, but. Jeremiah Robinson Earl hasn't been guarded by a Christian Bishop.
0: Correct. Yeah.
2: You know, I mean, like it, th- is this the first time all year that the opposing center wasn't athletically outmatched by Jeremiah Robinson Earl?
0: I'm trying to think back to their, to, to their games. Like, yeah, it makes, I think that's right because Arizona state, I think has some athleticism at all five spots. They're not very polished, but that might be one. I think that might be it, though. But, but you know? for the
2: most part, yeah. Jeremiah Robinson-Earl is facing a center who athletically cannot hang with him. And yeah, right. my concern for Christian wasn't the perimeter. It was, you know, Ger- Jeremiah robinson Earl's pretty. he's a pretty thick guy. Uh, I thought maybe he might be able to bully uh, Christian in the post a little bit. But I thought Christian did a great job whenever it did get down there. Um, and frankly, I felt like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, because of how good he's been on the perimeter this year, kind of has deferred to that part of his game. Um, and so, I, I, and honestly, Christian just had to be thrilled to death not to be, you know, the smallest guy in the post by four inches and 40 pounds for once, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so this, while it's a nightmare matchup for almost every other team in the league, as good as jeremiah robinson earl is it might be like a relief for christian to play someone who is his size i get Jerem, i get uh, earl is a little bigger a little taller than him but for the most part they're a similarly they're similarly sized centers and it, you know it's possible that, <laughs> that christian looks at this matchup and is like thank god i don't have to hold on to a monster today in terms <laughs> of just sheer physical size
1: That's i get true, there's like...
2: the skill set there right but <clears throat> I feel pretty confident in, in Christian's ability to guard on the perimeter. And if he's not, uh, if he's not horribly outsized in the post, he usually does a pretty good job. Also. I just, I feel like a lot of where Jeremiah Robinson Earl feasts is the fact that so many fives are just outmatched by him. And that's not the case physically for, for Christian at all. As far as Gillespie is concerned, we talked about a little bit, a little bit about earlier with the ball coverage uh, on the ball screen coverage. I think the fact that they forced him as much as possible to make shots off the dribble is what led him to struggle today. Yeah. That was a choice that they made. They, they made him
0: not- They made him play like Marcus. And yeah, like, knowing that he can't. Yeah. They're like, we know how you're going to make Marcus play, and we're going to make you play like Marcus does, and we're going to see who wins that battle of style, essentially. So both of – like it, 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 you are making a really good point here – Marcus Marcus was obviously in his comfort zone, but so was Christian. Cause they got, yeah. to, they got to basically be who they are from a comfort standpoint. So they were never, they were never on tilt today. There was never any, they looked like they were totally, um, you know, in a good rhythm from the minute the ball tipped off, like they were never thrown off essentially. And I'm like, yeah, they just 100%. Like, yeah, they play with great flow, great pace. Uh, great chemistry together in those ball screens. And, yeah, that matchup, in terms of how how Creighton made those guys go six for 25, I felt like it was just the counterparts. Like, I don't think it was anything super fancy or a mismatch or if they, they didn't hide Marcus anywhere. Marcus and Christian outplayed Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, period. Couldn't agree more. I'll leave it at that. Yep, yep. <laughs> I my phone keeps like going into. I forgot to like extend the uh, what is it the uh, display, so it shuts off and I can't transition to questions fast enough. Um, let's see what do we have left. Uh, Five star foul wants to know: Is there anything better to watch than a Mitch Ballack soul crushing three? We'll start with Ravi on this one.
2: Um, in college basketball, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, my, in pro it's spoken for.
2: Yeah, when he, uh, when he gets rolling and he makes two, three, four in a row, it's just, it's just pure bliss. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and especially when one of those is like a, a 30 footer, um, I just start screaming. So screaming. When he, when he when tees he, up a uh, logo
0: bomb, you're like, Yes. Let it happen.
2: Yeah, the, the one that he beat the shot clock on in the second half, I was, oof. It, I was I was gone, I was done. You,
1: well, you know, know what? what
2: that that makes up for
1: all of the stupid banked in threes. Oh my <laughs> God, he has given up this year. It's it <laughs> happened again. I mean, I, I, now Marquette did it. Um, uh, uh, Duke did it for Providence. Thomas I think U- did it. UConn had one. Mm -hmm. um and now this i mean it's uncanny how many banked in threes we've seen from the opponents this year all of them in our building
0: yep it's just a great gym to shoot in um yes like but you know what's funny about the mitch one like at the one three that i feel like is the ultimate it's probably good he didn't hit it but it's also i also kind of like as i'm further away from it now as i'm separated from it i kind of just want to like go back into an alternate timeline and see what would have happened had he hit it. Um that it just like would have been like a nuke went off. The <laughs> De, the, De, the DePaul game where they were ripping off those that like 20 to nothing run essentially where where I don't know how many points they scored in a row but like it was turnover, run out, dunk, turnover, run out, dunk essentially. And Mitch at the end of that, at the tail end of that, he uh he pinned some dude on the glass. So like he had a pin block,
2: mm-hmm. a chase
0: down, okay? and then he was trailing marcus on the in the tra- in transition and he got like that little flip back and he pulled from about 35 to 40 range and it was so dead on but it was just like a <laughs> it was a touch long that it like hit back iron and came off had he capped off that stretch with that bomb there would have been mass casualties in the arena like people would have been falling <laughs> over each other People would have fallen off from the 200 (laughs) section down into the 100 section. Like there just would have been like bodies everywhere had he knocked that down. So I I think I told him this on the podcast we did with Marcus, like I'm glad he didn't hit that for the public safety, but now I kind of, as I'm further removed from it, I want to go back and like see how people would have reacted to that because the, the audible gasp that you get from a Mitch three, when he pulled from there and let that one go, I mean, it was like everyone's breath was gone. It was like a, one of those, like they shook their hearts out of rhythm, essentially, when he let it go. And I'm like, oh, my God, if he had hit that, I don't even know what would have happened to that crowd. Do you guys remember what that, that three that he missed? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't, but I'm, I'll take your word for it. All these, You know, when I get old, I, I lose my memory, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's mitch mitch just has this way about him man when he gets on a roll there's nothing more fun to watch because mm-hmm. because with each one it, i never thought i'd see another shooter like um like ethan uh but this guy is is next level i still i would still pay to watch a three-point shooting contest between mitch and ethan
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: i think it would be high entertainment
0: for sure I think Northerender said it today, like, Creighton's playing like Ethan Rocky's still out there. I'm like, he wears number 24 these days. (laughs) (laughs) He's He's got a beard. He's in (laughs) Uh everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Our last question of the day, and I think this is a good way to end it because I can just kind of moderate here. Um, Josh, John's co-host and our good buddy, Josh Peterson, from Unsportsmanlike Conduct, wants John and Ravi to – fight over thanksgiving food essentially and i have a five minute cap that i'm supposed to keep on this but if it goes over it's okay so i guess i don't know i I haven't heard this is there like is there beef here with not no pun intended but is there is there some beef here with the thanksgiving food i mean ravi and i don't agree on turkey at all but is is what, what what are john's thanksgiving takes i guess
1: Rob, Robbie, I, he he basically hates everything about Thanksgiving. Yeah. 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 I don't think there's anything in the Thanksgiving meal that he likes.
2: Um, I like the cool whip on top of the pumpkin pie.
0: Really? That's what you like? Yes. Okay.
2: Um, I also, so I have some like alternates that are not like Thanksgiving food staples, but you do see them a lot.
0: Yeah. I've heard these abominations.
2: Um, Come on. Um, like you get like a good, uh, mac and cheese sometimes.
0: Not so, not, not to a bad start. Yeah.
2: Um, which I really enjoy a good, a good mac and cheese. Um, and then I also really like the, uh, like the, the odd rotten potatoes, the cheesy potatoes, Okay. like the roll thin sliced these cheesy potatoes, those they're not a staple, but I see them, you know, it's like a 50, 50, at Thanksgiving no, agree, uh, no, agree, no agreed no agree, no
0: agrees. just substitutions at this point yet keep going
2: I mean that's it that those are my those are my two preferred mm. sides
0: yeah sides um, what's your your primaries are where we start to throw oh
2: yeah I want yeah. prime rib
0: yeah see what the hell man
2: what's wrong you would <laughs> rather eat turkey than prime rib my, thi-
0: my thing is like you the way you talk about turkey is like I don't think you've eaten turkey before you talk about turkey it like it's
2: garbage bird. I have it every year <laughs> and I feed it every year.
0: <laughs> so John, are you it's only
2: one time.
0: Yeah, for real. I know I mean, who eats turkey more than once. And, and... Yeah. Listen, I,
1: I get it. You, if, 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 if the turkey is done wrong, then yeah, it's garbage. But if, if you can keep it juicy and that's the key,
0: uh-huh.
1: I think it's fantastic. And, and the key is the gravy. You got to have the gravy. The gravy makes everything. And, and if you're afraid of gravy, if you don't like gravy, then, then you're probably not going to like Thanksgiving. That's probably the main reason I love Thanksgiving is I <laughs> right. literally put gravy on, on everything. Yeah. On the whole thing.
0: How many meals you know? can you eat in your life where the sauce like connects the whole dish? It, just, it does. Yeah. I mean, you can even pour it on the jello salad. It's yeah, just, cool. it's- <laughs> yeah that's, that's a little nasty, but yeah. I'm, I, I I'm mean, jello
2: salad's <laughs> nasty in general, but putting gravy on it doesn't help.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I'm passing on. Um, I'm passing on jello salad, but the gravy connects everything. It's like the, the
2: listen. The gravy's great, but the fact that you need gravy to make your why meat do you edible, see that's
0: the part where I don't you lose me. Why why is that like a, a non negotiable for you? Listen, like everything everything needs help to thrive. Like you got to you got to season it's your true. meat, otherwise it tastes like you got yeah. 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 to season the prime rib. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. The seasoning. You don't have to cover it in sauce to make it edible. You don't need to cover turkey and sauce to make it edible. That's just like a little. I, s- little special. I
2: uh, disagree strongly there. Well,
0: that's what I mean. You haven't been cooked. You haven't been given properly cooked turkey. I the-
2: have. I've had there the deep fried. I've had the whatever. I've had all of it.
0: The whatever? You didn't this even
2: is say from anything. I'm a guy who eats just- chicken nuggets every day. <laughs> nuggets. <laughs> not, not every
1: day. Every day you fill in, which won't be as much anymore because we're not paying people, apparently but every <laughs> yes. day he fills in he's bringing in 40 pieces of ch- mcdonald's chicken nuggets and he's smashing
0: the crap out of them i mean not the well, most yeah i people. mean I can't I, again not, the, like not a, an egregious decision but when you say you'll well, eat that, yes you man
2: want. i'm not gonna stop you from bringing in a steak <laughs> john would you rather i bring in the 40 chicken mcnugs or the turkey chili from the can?
0: Well, wait. Oh, well,
2: I, listen,
1: I'm not complaining about the chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you definitely don't want the turkey chili. That's the other thing. He doesn't like turkey, but then he brings in that gross Hormel turkey
2: chili. See, that's what I'm talking <laughs> about.
0: Yeah, <his laughs> well, whole, that doesn't his make whole, any sense. His listen, whole theory is inconsistent. I'm...
2: No, no, no. Here's the deal. I understand that turkey is a lean meat, and the turkey chili comes out when I have to cut. Okay. Okay. So I've got the turkey, chili, no beans. It, it's the right macros for the food that I need if I'm cutting. Right. So and it's really easy because I just pop it open and I don't mind eating it cold. It's not because I'm like, oh, this is the thing I want to eat more than anything in the world right now, which is what Thanksgiving's supposed to be. Thanksgiving is the food super bowl. Okay. And you're giving me this garbage bird for the food super bowl. I what think are it's we because
0: I think it's because it's a bird, it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a protein that has such a blank canvas, you can do so much with it, and that's why. Well, it's all blank cheap. canvas because it does a very yeah, right, like yeah, John, yeah, John's, yeah, it's also cheap. Correct, you can get a massive amount of it for very little. Yeah, that's the other part of it. So I'm not trying to cheap out here. Go big. Yeah, but the thing is, you can also make it very flavorful in a variety of ways. Whereas there's only so many ways you can make a prime rib flavorful you can't it's not yeah really, just cook not the really prime a, rib because it's a prime rib already <laughs> right but i mean <laughs> what are we it doesn't talking have a, about it here? doesn't have like versatility to it you have to cook it a certain it way otherwise versatility it's prime rib well i like versatility that's why turkey is like underrated in my opinion based on the way you talk about it like turkey's feel like there's all of a sudden this like uprising of turkey haters and i'm like where'd you all come from like what they're following my lead (laughs) you're leading them in a bad direction this time no i'm leading them to the promised land of steak at thanksgiving listen i'm just saying i'm with you on mac and cheese and stuff but like you've got to embrace the ability to make a good tasting turkey you
2: you
1: want a hot take Uh, honestly the turkey is like third or fourth on my list of things i like most about thanksgiving dinner yeah yeah i I mean mean, yes i'm i mean i'm the dressing i love dressing or stuffing whatever you want to call it uh the mashed potatoes the gravy the, and if i don't have cranberry sauce then then it, it, it's a very empty thanksgiving for me oh
2: really so your
0: number one? Oh,
2: huge cranberry sauce guy okay gotta have this the savory and the sweet okay is that are you like a homemade cranberry or you like it out of the can i'll do both but i prefer yeah. the homemade and it's not it's not hard you just take a bag of cranberries
1: and boil it with some sugar and some water and right. it comes out and it's delicious
2: Uh, I feel like for the listen, there's parts like I like mashed potatoes. I prefer the the odd rotten potatoes, but the mashed potatoes are good. I like a good gravy. Um, stuffing is like really hit and miss for me because bad stuffing is really bad.
0: Just like turkey, it's just like anything, dude. You gotta no no
2: no. no, no. Listen, good stuffing is really good, whereas good turkey is still bad. (laughs) (laughs) Turkey, turkey is like. Turkey is like reverse pizza, right? Dude, even I, bad I, pizza is pretty good, but even good turkey is pretty bad.
0: We need to get like Gordon Ramsay did, on this podcast. Because like seasoning is the key to happens? everything.
2: Nothing tastes Listen, good if, without help. If somebody can cook me turkey, not ground turkey, because I'll eat ground turkey as a lean beef alternative because sometimes okay. you have to. Yeah. Um, but if, if somebody can cook me a whole turkey in a manner that I enjoy it, okay. I will have happily admit to it but i've never had it i've never had a good thanksgiving turkey and if i have the option which i do because i as as damon likes to call me i'm a dink which i thought was a slur at first but it just means double income no kids me and my wife two incomes (laughs) no children um like hey (laughs) he (laughs) called me that on air and like i was like whoa whoa um, but he goes, and then he defined it. He goes double income, no kids. And I was like, Oh yeah. Dink for life. <laughs> um, and since I am a dink, I can just choose, you know, Hey, let's, let's go get the prime ribs and have a good time.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if we're all vaccinated by next Thanksgiving, I'm definitely going to offer you a, you know, properly cooked. Turkey. Listen,
2: if somebody can, can, if yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm open to admit when I'm wrong. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's what makes me different from certain elected officials but um
0: (laughs) a certain segment of the population uh
2: (laughs) but listen i I showed incredible restraint there yeah Um, no doubt (laughs) but i will if if somebody can bring me a well uh, a cooked uh thanksgiving cooked turkey and it's good i will admit i will admit if i if i like it
0: yeah okay
2: so i'm not like i'm not digging i'm not like stuck in the sand here Uh, I do think turkey is incredibly hard to prepare, which is why – prepare well, which is why I think it's a bad choice for that meal.
0: That's the thing that – that's the thing that's enjoyable about Thanksgiving is that, like, the meal is not easily brought together. And I think – Oh, it
1: takes a lot of work.
0: Yeah. But I think – It takes a lot of work. I appreciate that more because you're like, all right, this is a day we're designating for these basic food groups, and there has to be effort put forth for the essential payoff at the end
2: and i now, get that you because like i saw my wife made some of the sides this year and they were phenomenal right
0: i bet she's um, a really good cook right yeah she's like a, head good. Chef yeah, and she was stuff, a
2: professional yeah. chef for a while yeah but apparently I can't cook turkey <laughs> well, she, doesn't, she doesn't cook turkey because she knows i don't like it Oh, just, gee, unless, it's in, the, yeah. it, unless it's in a disgusting tin can with beans
0: I know, yeah, yeah. She lets you eat that.
2: I do the no beans. I do the no beans chili. Come on. Oh, that's right, no beans. Sorry, no beans. Got to keep those carbs out of there. Yeah, we'll get you.
1: Oh, see, that's the other problem. I mean, Thanksgiving it's not it's not just the food Super Bowl; it's the carb Super Bowl. Yep, it's true. So everything about Thanksgiving is about
0: carbs. I really gotta load
1: up on the insulin
0: there. If you do Thanksgiving right, five o'clock should be bedtime essentially. Yes. Yeah. Which is perfect timing because that's usually the second half of the Cowboys game. You got one last o'clock. dig in on Josh, Josh to wrap up the topic. I love it.
2: Five o'clock on uh, five o'clock on Thanksgiving is is refill my my insulin pump time.
0: Got to got
2: to reload that thing because all you those go carbs. To, are,
0: can you go to carbs sleep? Are brutal. Can you go to sleep after refilling that? Can you?
2: Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, we'll see. That's just your bedtime dessert, essentially. <laughs> <You're> like, insulin <laughs> for dessert. <Yeah. laughs> Robbie wants more pie. No, I'm gonna take my shot and I'm gonna hit the sack. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, you got to make lemons out of lemonade. Yeah, you got to make lemons out of lemonade in life, man. We <laughs> love you. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for your questions. John, Robbie, this is a lot of fun. I uh, appreciate you guys hopping on. Um, we're going to have a long center break here, so we will talk to you guys. We appreciate you coming on. We appreciate your feedback, um, listening to the show and chiming in with your questions. We will come back at you February 24th, I believe is when the Jays return against DePaul. So maybe we can, maybe Mitchell hit one of those threes that melts the arena. So we'll see. Um, In the meantime, everybody stay safe out there and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.